Let's get our Bibles and let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Some of you know this already, but many years ago, before we moved to Minnesota, I was uh, able to teach in a Christian school for about 10 years. And uh, it was a wonderful time uh, in our lives where I was spending every day with a whole bunch of teenagers in the Bible. And with all those challenges that something like that can bring, uh, there were a lot more joys than sorrows in that time. Uh, What we would typically do in a given week when we would finish our curriculum or finish our work, typically on a Friday afternoon, is I would give opportunity for the students just to do a free-for-all Q&A. Now, you have to, you know, know what you're getting into with teenagers. Ask whatever you want. Well, maybe not. Um, But we would talk about anything, anything about the Bible, anything about the Christian life. And invariably, the, the questions that I would get, we would start off with the trivial. You know, there'd be that kid who would say, did Adam have a belly button? Right? That's usually where the depth would start. And if you're, if you're wondering, the answer is no, he didn't. But then we would start getting to the more substantial questions. And those would typically start focusing in on eternity. What happens when we die? What's heaven going to be like? Maybe you've had some questions, and they would ask things like, what are our bodies going to be like? And, and are we going to have wings? Are we going to float around on clouds and play harps? How old are we going to appear? Are we going to know each other like we know each other here on earth? Now, the Bible does answer some of those questions, and, and we're going to get into some of those things today. I can go ahead and tell you now, we're, we're not going to have wings because we don't turn into angels when we die. Um, I'm sure you could play a harp if you wanted to, uh, but it's not going to be, you're not going to be forced to stay on a cloud and play one. Um, the, but heaven's going to be a lot more fun than, than that. It, it's going to be more amazing than our imaginations can comprehend. And it's not because of what's going to be there, but who is going to be there. Heaven is going to be amazing because Jesus is there. And we will get to be with Jesus forever. That's what's going to make heaven so amazing. He is the greatest gift. And so for those who know Christ as our greatest gift, when we are with him, everything will be fulfilled. You will have no more longings and no more desires that he does not already meet. And yet, because he is such a generous God, He has gifts planned for you, gifts in store for those who love him and have followed him. And one of those gifts that Jesus promises is that not only will our soul immediately be with him when we die, but one day he promises that these bodies that will be buried will one day rise again and he will make them brand new. So not only do we get new life here and now in this world when we trust in Christ and he makes our hearts new on the inside, but one day he promises to make the outside new as well. And I don't know about you, but the more I look in the mirror and the older I get, the more I look forward to that outward newness. Now here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's been been teaching on the resurrection 
the resurrection of Christ himself, the resurrection of the dead. And now he's at a place where he's getting very specific, teaching on the new bodies that we're going to receive when Christ returns. And so he's wanting to bring encouragement to a church that was getting a lot of things wrong, a lot of things they were confused about. And so he's bringing encouragement to remind them what we have to look forward to. Isn't it helpful sometimes when we're so tempted to get focused on the trials and the troubles and the heartaches right here and now? Isn't it important sometimes to have our gaze lifted, our gaze lifted to eternity to be reminded what awaits? That's what the Word is doing for us today as well. My message today is entitled, The Man of Heaven. We're going to start by reading verses 35 through 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll pray and ask for God to help us. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the sweet blessing of the gathering this morning, that we get to be together, that we get to sing your praises, that we get to be in your word. Truly, Lord, we ask for your help to understand Scripture, to apply this to our lives, to be encouraged in our souls. Truly, Lord, we need that encouragement today, and we know you're faithful to give it so that our joy will be found in you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The main thought of my message today is this. Just as we were born with an earthly body in this life, Christians are promised a heavenly body in the life to come. If you're like me, you have daily reminders of how these bodies are breaking down. In addition to the aches and pains that come with being in my 50s, I've also 
invested in a digital reminder that many of you have as well, a little smartwatch. Sometimes I wonder why I did that to myself. It records our steps and our heartbeats and, and even uh, sometimes when we're sitting and when we should stand, which is one of the more annoying features, but I don't know enough about technology to turn it off, so I just endure it. I'll be sitting in my office, I'm focused, I'm zoned out, I'm just right in the text, I'm studying, and my watch goes off and I look down and it's got that cute little te- text, time to stand up. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. But when I do, the next little condescending buzz says, You did it! Way to go, big boy! I feel like a toddler eating his first spoonful of crushed peas or something. Like, yay, you stood up. And I paid for that kind of condescension. That's, that's the sad part. But really, the older we get, the more obvious these, these bodies become that they're not, they're not going to last forever. And it reminds us just what our kids are learning this morning in class about Adam and Eve, about how when God made man, when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them perfect. He made them to live forever. He made them in, a, in an environment that would sustain them forever, eating of the fruit, eating of the tree of life. But with only one small restriction, don't touch, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And like a rebellious child, the one thing we're told not to do is the one thing we want the most. And so Adam and Eve disobeyed, which is called sin. And when sin entered into the world, it brought with it decay and disease and death. The very things that we wrestle with today. And that that's why these physical bodies that we are in now, these earthly bodies, that's why they are breaking down every day. It is the direct result of the damaging effects of sin. Some of it is how we treat our bodies, but, but no matter how healthy you eat or how much you exercise, I'm not putting those things down, but that will not cause you to evade death. But we know that sin not only affects these bodies, but it affects our hearts as well. So there is an inward and an outward effect of sin that we are constantly dealing with. Now we're grateful to know Jesus came to restore and make all things new. He came to redeem our souls. For those who trusted in Christ, that that has happened. It was instant and it is forever. Jesus has made your heart new, taken a heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh to trust in him, to know him, to be renewed. But one day Jesus promises he will return and make all things new, including nature, including these bodies, that we are one day going to be given a body just like his resurrected body. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, here in the Corinthian church, there were, there were some who just were not able to grasp that. And sometimes, like we are, what they don't understand, they fear and they deny. And so there were some in the Corinthian church that were disbelieving the resurrection at all and therefore were teaching against any type of future resurrection of the body. And so Paul is writing to correct some of these errors and also to encourage those who were confused in the matter. And so in this text, 
we're looking at today, I want to give you four aspects of these new bodies so that we too will not be confused and so that we too would be encouraged in the midst of these lives knowing what awaits us in the life to come. The first thing we see about these new bodies in our text is that they will be like a seed planted, transformed, transformed from death to life. And so Paul, he starts off using a farming illustration in verse 36. He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, a seed has to first be planted in the ground before it can grow and produce a crop. What an amazing process that is so mundane to us now, but when you just stop and consider this lifeless seed will remain lifeless until it is put in the ground. But when it is put in the ground, it begins to expand and grow into something so much more than what it was. Sometimes I wonder if God created that whole process of the seed and growth to show the illustration of what the new life will be. But what if, here's here's a silly question, what if the farmer never planted the seed? What if there was a particular farmer who was not all there and he decided to keep a seed as a pet? He decided to keep that seed and he names that seed and he keeps this seed in his pocket during the day and he puts it under his pillow at night and he never plants it in the ground. Well, that's pretty silly. Everybody would think he's crazy and he probably would be. But this farmer would go hungry, and his family would go hungry, because he's holding on to something that is meant to be planted. He will never know the true value of that seed until he lets it go, until it is planted in the ground, until it dies. But once he lets it go, once it dies it will produce a great harvest. I think we can be like that farmer in our own lives when we value these lives too much. When we fall in love with this life, with this world, with things of this world. There there are many things God gives in this life for us to enjoy, none of which are meant for us to hold on to none of which are to take the place of him. So when we we see what this life is, a beautiful gift from God, an opportunity to enjoy him in this world and to bring as many as we can with us to know Christ and to one day enjoy eternity with him. But this life is not the final destination. We won't know that until we let it go. We won't know that until it is planted. Jesus made this very clear in John 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Don't fall in love with the seed. Don't love your life so much now that you miss the life to come. Jesus does not call us to self-preservation. He calls us to self-denial. 
The one who follows Christ is called to lay down his life, pick up his cross, and follow him. And the one who gives his life to Christ now will be given eternal life in the time to come. Now, continuing this example of a seed, we also see that God is the one who does the growing. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. So the farmer plants the seed and waters it and tends it, but God is the one who causes it to grow. And this is the reminder for us that God will produce growth in those who are his. It will happen. It is a promise. We must surrender. We must die to ourselves. But God is the one who promises to produce that growth. And Paul is using that to also say that when we die, when these physical bodies die and are buried, it takes on the picture of a seed. That that burial is not the final destination. It is the context to prepare for the harvest, the new life, and the new body that will rise. And in verse 38, that phrase, God gives, that's not one and done. That's, that phrase is ongoing. That verb is continual. God will continually give. God continues to act upon that seed, not just once. But every moment, causing that buried seed to grow and become a sprout. And God continues to act upon it. And that sprout grows into a tree. And God continues to act upon it. And that tree produces fruit. The seed becomes so much more than what it was. Because it died. We can see clearly as believers the connection to the gospel. That God, in his amazing, generous love, how he gave the most precious seed of all. He gave his only son to die for our sins. Who took on all our shame and condemnation on the cross and then was planted in the tomb. Aren't we glad Jesus is not there anymore? But he produced a great harvest as he rose from the dead. Aren't we glad God's generosity doesn't stop at the cross, but God continuously gives through the resurrection of Christ and through new life that we all have in him. Because Jesus defeated death, you and I can know we will follow his path into new life. Romans 8 reminds us of this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Praise God. The second thing we learn about these new bodies, they will better reflect God's image. Paul now goes into a comparison of different kinds of things in nature. Look at verse 38 again. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one, or heavenly, is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. 
Now, some context here. In the church in Corinth, there were those. This was a new church. They had come out of a pagan lifestyle. Many of them had come from pagan worship where part of their weekly or daily worship was bowing before some type of carved idol. And many times it would resemble something in nature, a tree, an animal, a fish. And so as they got saved and were still in the process of growing spiritually to understand spiritual truth, some of these brand new Christians mistakenly thought, if there is a resurrection, well, we must be coming back as something in nature, almost like a a first part of reincarnation. We, if there is a resurrection, maybe we'll come back as that thing we used to worship, uh, that, that idol that we used to see every week. And so Paul is saying that this is not, this is not what God is going to do. That, that, is, that is your former life. What, what God is going to do is not turn you into a different creature. You're going to be of the same kind. Paul has already used the analogy of the seed. You don't plant an, an apple seed expecting a pear tree. You're going to get an apple tree. And so Paul is saying, these new bodies that God promises, they're not going to look like fish or birds or something else. God made Adam and Eve distinct, different from all of creation. God made man in his image, and that image will remain. In the new life, that image will simply be unmarred. That image will be perfectly reflected as God intended from the beginning. But it's also an important reminder for us, things that I know you are already taught well, that you already know, that human life is infinitely more valuable than animal life or things in nature. That doesn't mean we mistreat animals or that we don't take care of the environment. But what it means is we don't get those priorities confused. We don't attempt to save the spotted owl or the humpback whale and then we're just okay with killing millions of babies in abortion. That reflects a misunderstanding and a denial of God's image. And the image that you and I reflect right now is beautiful. It gives God glory. Even though these images are currently marred by sin, take heart. It won't always be that way. So we're made in God's image. And yet the new bodies we're going to receive will better reflect God's image. But how? How will they be better? Look at verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So here Paul is making a list, comparing our bodies now with the new ones that God will give us at the resurrection. He says our bodies now are perishable. That means right now these bodies will break down and die. But our new bodies are imperishable. They will never get sick or die. Right now these bodies are ones of dishonor, which means these bodies are prone to sin. But our new bodies that we will receive are raised in glory, Paul says. That means these bodies will not desire to sin, but will perfectly reflect the glory of our Creator. Right now, our bodies are weak. Our strength, our energy is limited. 
We get tired. We have to sleep. We get hungry. We have to eat. Even Jesus, when he walked the earth, he got tired. He got hungry. But after his resurrection, Jesus never needed sleep or needed food again. Now, your minds may be reeling through the gospel stories. You're saying, wait a minute, Jesus ate after he resurrected. Yes, he did. But Jesus didn't need to eat. Why did he eat? Well, one reason was in that moment where Jesus ate a piece of fish was to prove to his terrified disciples that he was not a ghost. It's really me, guys. I'm here. Our new bodies are going to get to enjoy food in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I am one who will celebrate that truth. I love food, and so that we get to eat food in heaven is wonderful. But we will not need to eat food to sustain these bodies. Because, as Scripture says, these new bodies will be raised in power. We will not need the energy of protein to function. We will have the power of the Holy Spirit that sustains us. We will still get to enjoy these good gifts, but we will need nothing but Jesus. He will be the fulfillment, the all in all of every aspect of our existence and will sustain us for eternity and not just in survival, but in thriving, enjoying him forever. That new life is all found in him and he will be the one to fulfill us. The third description of these new bodies, our new bodies will be designed for eternity. Verse 44 says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now to state the obvious, these bodies we have now are natural, they are physical. And when we die, these bodies will cease to function and they will be buried. But when Jesus returns, he promises to raise these bodies from the dead. But what is raised will not be what was buried. What is raised will be brand new. Not just what could have been, not just you in the prime of your life, but better than you could ever imagine, better than you ever have been in supernatural ways. What is born into the earth is natural, but what Jesus raises is spiritual. Now, don't get confused. That does not mean that our new bodies will simply be spiritual in a ghosty kind of way, like we're transparent or we'll wispy float around. The bodies that Jesus raises will be physical, but their nature will be spiritual because there will be nothing to rot, nothing to decompose, nothing to get sick and die. But I believe when we are with him in heaven, and when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom on earth, it's going to be just as physical as you and I are right now, but it will be of a spiritual nature, one that will last forever, one without any of the damaging effects of sin ever again. Right now, we, we live in earth suits. We live in bodies that are fit for this life, but these bodies are not fit for eternity. We know that already. We can feel that. 
just as Paul proclaims in Romans, all of creation is groaning. All of creation awaits that moment of redemption when all of the death and decay are put off. And like we're putting on a brand new suit, these souls will put on brand new bodies that are fit for eternity and that we will get to enjoy Christ forever. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. We know when God made Adam, he gave him a natural body. But God didn't stop there. The Bible also says God breathed into Adam's nostrils and made him a living spirit. That's a beautiful reminder for us here and now. We are much more than just flesh and blood. God made you both physical and spiritual, even sitting here today. You are a body and a soul. A body made in God's image. A soul made to reflect aspects of God's character and nature and likeness. And so in your resurrection, your body and your soul will be reunited. But praise God, not the body you have now. It will be like your spirit man putting on that brand new clothing, taking off the tattered, the torn, the worn out of this life, putting on the perfect, the unstained, the indestructible clothing of the life to come. And Jesus is the one who will give it. I love how Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. I don't want any more Adams. Adams messed things up. (laughs) But the last Adam fixed it all. He's the one we trust in. He's the one who has come and is coming again to restore all things to himself. So not only is Jesus our example and the first fruit of the resurrection that we can look to and say, that's what we have to look forward to, but Jesus is the power source. He's the power plant that not only sustains us now, but will sustain us into eternity. When he provides that brand new suit, when he provides that brand new body, It will be a body fit for eternity. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of heaven. Just like Adam, our bodies were made from the dust and they will return to the dust. But Jesus came from heaven. He was not created. He is the creator. After Jesus died, his body did not return to the dust like Adam's did, but Jesus rose from the dead and he returned not to the dust but he returned to heaven in a glorious resurrected body and those who follow Christ on earth are promised to follow him in his resurrection into the life to come first John 3 2 says when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is we become what we behold And we will behold Christ and we will become like his resurrected body 
because he's a good God and he gives good gifts. And so we know that even though these bodies we're in right now will die, will return to the dust, we know that the bodies we will be given will be just like Jesus' resurrected body. We will bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, this is an ongoing thing. This is right now. Our spirits are already made new. If you've trusted in Christ, if you've turned from your sins, you've repented, and you've placed your faith in him, you're already made new on the inside. I'm sure there have been people, when the gospel wasn't taught clearly, when they first got saved, they thought everything about their life was supposed to change. All my problems are supposed to go away. All my sicknesses are supposed to be healed. All my bills are supposed to be paid. And perhaps, perhaps they, were, they were shocked and disillusioned to find out all those things were the same. God can heal. God can bless. But the inward change that happens upon salvation is not always going to be seen on the outside. We should certainly see fruit of that. But the inward change is the change we need right now. But thankfully, it's not the only change God has in store. Jesus never does anything halfway. He's renewed us on the inside. One day he's going to renew us on the outside. That brings us to our fourth and final observation of these new bodies. They will remind us that Jesus is victorious. With all of the examples and the comparisons that Paul has used to this point, nothing really compares to the new life to come. No no human description can truly be adequate. So it seems here that Paul puts away the comparisons and, as Paul often does, breaks into a doxology, breaks into this spontaneous praise. So let's look at verse 50. Read with me, but hear it in the way that I think Paul was writing it, with joy, with excitement, with passion. I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Jesus defeated death, and we are the ones that get eternal life. Jesus won the battle, and we receive the spoils. Jesus is the victor, and yet he gives us the victory over sin, over death, over the grave. And he has given us eternal life with him. So church, we can be encouraged this morning. The promise of the resurrection for those who are in Christ is sure. It will happen. The promise of a new body for those who are in Christ, it is sure. It will happen. It will happen instantly in the blink of an eye. That when Christ returns, we're told that an angel will blow a trumpet 
and the graves will be open, and what comes out will be brand new, perfect bodies, indestructible, immortal, imperishable. That should cause our lives right now to be a little more bearable, a little more joyful, a little more hopeful, knowing of what we have that awaits, especially in a time like this, a weekend like this, where as a church, we've been reminded of the pain of death. We've been reminded of losing someone we love. I know we are not new to that. But these are moments that while we grieve, these are moments that are so needful for us to see beyond this life. That those who are in Christ that have gone on, they have gone on beyond this life. They await us. They are where we long to be. They are seeing the things that we read about and hope for and sing about and encourage each other with. They are seeing it. Church, be encouraged. If you are in Christ, that is what awaits you too. I know the illustration has been used many times, but it's helpful for me. When I think about the sting of death being taken, and you've probably heard the analogy of the father and the daughter in the car, and the daughter is deathly allergic to stinging insects, and a hornet has gotten into the car with them. And she's crying and she's worried and the father reaches up and he grabs the hornet and the hornet stings him. And he looks at his daughter and he says, don't worry, baby, it can never sting you. It can't sting anyone ever again. We have been given a gift by our Savior. He took the full sting of death for us. Now we know, we know recently and many of you know from your life experience The death of a loved one still stings, still hurts. But that sting is not permanent. That sting is temporary. Because we know that sting gives way to the victory, to the wholeness and the healing, the perfect healing that we shall all who know Christ, we shall all receive in him when we are raised from the dead and given new bodies and enjoy new life with him. But thankfully, we don't have to wait for that one day. Jesus has already won the victory. There's the already, the not yet. He's already victorious, and yet we await the fullness of his kingdom. But in that waiting, we can live in his fullness. We can live in that joy now. And that's that's how Paul ends this section, verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because Christ is victorious, we can be encouraged in this life. We can be steady and unshakable. We can devote our hearts and our hands to the work of the gospel now, knowing that our labors are not in vain. Knowing our prayers are heard, knowing that our hope is secure. And yes, knowing that our suffering is but temporary. And knowing the promise that every trial we face, every heartache, every death, every funeral we have to go to is preparing us for a far greater glory that awaits 
that where our Savior dwells and the place that he has prepared for those who love him, there is no more cancer. There is no more epilepsy. No more diabetes. No more Parkinson's. No more dementia. No more miscarriages. No more funerals. No more goodbyes. Where Jesus dwells is perfect healing, eternal life, and fullness of joy. And when we get there, we're going to have voices that don't give out so that we can sing his praises for eternity. And these new bodies, they're not going to give out and be tired, but we'll be able to dance and shout. We'll be able to give God the glory he deserves. We'll be able to sing around the throne of our Savior for eternity. You might get there before I do. I might get there before you do. But either way, we know we'll be together and we'll be with him. Until that day, let his joy sustain you. Let his joy keep you and encourage you. Knowing that death does not win. Jesus already has. And the joy that he gives sustains us through this life and into the life to come. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to thank you for the unique joy of being with my friends this morning and, and for us to be able to be in your word today. And the specific encouragement you give to us today concerning the life to come. Today, Lord, I pray specifically for those who are grieving. I pray for those who are in the middle of a trial that perhaps things of this earth, troubles, evil, wickedness, brokenness has just loomed so large they're having a hard time seeing you. Lord, I ask you would break in. Just as the sun breaks through clouds and you see those sunbeams, I pray you break into that hurt, Lord. Break into that trial. Break into that heartache with your hope. And even if it's a glimpse in our minds, in our hearts, give us a glimpse. Remind us of what awaits. Knowing the joy we have here is but a foretaste of the joy you have prepared for those who love you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.